Hey podcast people, how's it going? Azrin the Language Nerd here. Hope you're doing very well on this fine Saturday afternoon, or rather evening, or whatever day and time it is for you right now as you're listening to this podcast episode. Uh, if you'd like to learn more about myself or the business I run, which is the Calgary Language Nerds, you can visit azrinthelanguagenerd.com. That is spelled A-Z or Z-R-E-N, thelanguagenerd.com, or you can visit any of my social networks. I am on Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, YouTube, Twitter, TikTok, and of course on LinkedIn. My username is at polyglotazrin on all of those platforms. That is spelled P-O-L-Y-G-L-O-T-A-Z or Z depending on your country, R-E-N. And welcome to today's podcast episode. I'm very excited as per usual to be recording this one here. Man, I have a few things that I would like to share with everybody today. The first one is the importance of environment. It's so funny how much environment can feed your fluency in another language. So here's what I mean. I'll tell you a little bit of a story. Um, earlier today, I was running my drop-in Gujarati class. I run a drop-in Gujarati class every Saturday, um, along with various other languages on Saturdays. And during this class, in the beginning, there is myself and two other people. The Gujarati group's a pretty small group. We usually have like two to five people that are there. It's a pretty small group. And today we had two people. And we're chatting and we're doing our thing. We're doing different activities and blah, blah, blah. And I wasn't really feeling in the Gujarati mood. The language wasn't fully coming to mind. The words, I mean, I was able to speak, of course, and I was able to do my thing and run the session. Like, there's no doubt about that. But ultimately, I was not, I wasn't feeling it, you know? The fluency wasn't really there and my mind wasn't properly in that Gujarati mood. And roughly halfway through, uh, somebody joined into the session who is a native Gujarati speaker. He joined in, he kind of came late. He's there usually a couple times a month, he's there. And I let him in, let him into the online class. And as soon as he came, something in my brain switched. And suddenly it became ridiculously easy to speak in Gujarati. I was telling complex stories, we're talking about the environment and we're talking about animal rights and all these different complex topics and I can share everything that I wanted to share. I knew all the words that I would need to know with, with the exception of a few small ones here and there. I had to ask the native speaker like, hey, how do you say such and such word? Or like, how would I say this? But like 90% of everything I wanted to say, I could say and it was amazing. And I was thinking about that after. I was like, what the heck happened there? Why was it that literally the moment before he came, my mind was kind of jammed. And the moment after he came, my brain decided unconsciously that, okay, now you can go into Gujarati mode. And I think that's just how it is. We all have different triggers. And for most of us, they're probably unconscious. Like I couldn't, I don't think I could tell you with 100% accuracy what my triggers are as to what leads me to be fluent and what leads me to be not fluent or less fluent even. I know some of them consciously, but I think there's some unconscious one that I haven't thought of. Like who knew that a native speaker showing up to a drop-in class would trigger my fluency? That was so strange. I don't know why that happened because it hasn't always happened, doesn't always happen. In fact, sometimes a native speaker comes and it doesn't trigger that fluency. Sometimes I go the other way, I get nervous. Like it's so weird. But what it showed me is that environment definitely can feed or starve your level of fluency. Your environment feeds or starves your fluency. It can kind of go either way. Those are two extremes and it could really go in either direction. And it's important when we're learning to put ourselves in as many environments that feed our fluency as much as possible. So you've got to figure out 
un what unconscious things are, are helping your fluency and or not helping your fluency, it really depends. Like what kinds of things help you, what kinds of things don't help you. You have to kind of watch for those and then try to maximize the types of activities that really help you. So I'll share a few things for me. So for me personally, I've noticed that if I listen to the target language and I listen to something I'm able to, you know, that's relatively in my level. That's not like it's not crazy easy and it's not crazy difficult. Although crazy difficult sometimes for me can do it too, but generally not crazy difficult. Like within roughly my level, probably slightly slightly on the challenging side. If I listen to stuff and I try and listen and I look up some words and I do that for a number of hours, you know, if I do that for like five hours straight, something in my mind shifts and all of a sudden the language becomes easier. I know another shift for me is if I go to another country or if I put myself in an environment where everybody around me speaks the target language and I'm not speaking a lot of English, um, my brain also goes into kind of this good learning mode. It doesn't necessarily make me more fluent, but it makes me more comfortable just kind of speaking and, and making some mistakes and trying to say things. And it makes me less rusty and it maximizes my total level of fluency at that time. Because we all have knowledge in our head that in the moment we sometimes forget. When we speak to a native speaker, even though we know how to say something, those words don't come to mind in that moment. And then afterwards, when we ask, how do you say such and such word? And they tell you, then you remember, you're like, oh yeah, I knew that. Why didn't I think of it? And that's just the thing, right? So I find that when I'm kind of immersed or when I'm really kind of pushed a little bit, I can maximize my fluency, right? And I can really try and, yeah, maximize the knowledge I have. That's one trigger for me, but all of us have to figure out and ask ourselves, what are those triggers? And I think that can really help you and it'll really help all of us. So yeah, that's number one. Um, number two is, um, what is number two? Oh yes, I remember. It's something that I shared on, on Facebook. Uh, I, I, and Instagram, actually. I'm gonna open it up so I can read it, actually. Um, the interesting thing is that on my Facebook, it didn't do crazy well in terms of engagement and blah, blah, blah. Like it was just kind of a normal post, um, which was really telling because to me, it's something I believe in like a crazy amount. I believe in this so, so much. But just by the general reaction of the post, I can see that it's not necessarily what everybody resonates with. But boy, oh boy, I'm gonna pound this. I'm gonna talk about this like crazy because it'll, if you can get this in your head, it will help you. So, um, I believe that when it comes to learning a language, the most important thing, the most important thing ever uh, is patience. And patience, yeah, patience is the only way to put it. Listen, guys, um, I started running my business in 2017, right? And I've worked with a lot of different people, uh, lots and lots, hundreds upon hundreds. Some people I've worked with for well over a year. Some people have been like two or three years, sometimes some people like a year and six months, like, but there's now been a good number of people that I worked with or currently work with, and it's been over a year. And a lot of them, I would even go as far as to say all of them, I think. Yeah, I would say all of them even. At some point in their journey, they got stuck with a specific concept. Maybe it was a past tense, maybe it was like some pronunciation point, maybe it was um, listening comprehension was just this, this hurdle that no matter how much we practice, we couldn't get over it. Like it was different, the, the hurdle was different for everyone, but everyone would face a single hurdle and no matter what, like we'd put in all this effort and they just couldn't get over it. In fact, there'd be people that six months of consistent effort 
and like six months later, eight months later, nine months later, they still had not overcome that hurdle. And they, it's not even like they were lazy. They actually put in the effort. They did their homework. They came to class. They practiced. They did everything that, like they did, they took all the right steps, but they just weren't getting better. And they were just making some very incremental progress, if that. But here's the thing. Everybody eventually breaks through. I have seen people that are the most What's the right word here? I have seen people who really struggle with languages. Like I've seen people that really have a struggle and they, they it's really not natural for them. Like there's a specific element of the language that does not come natural to them. Whether it's a grammar point, conjugation, listening comp, like it's different for everybody, but I've seen some people, man, there's like, there's people I can think of right now, like seven of them without even like blinking an eye. And they really struggled with certain things to the point where, I mean, a lot of a lot of people will think it's hopeful, hopeless. Like a lot of people from the outside would look at these learners and go like, oh my God, you're hopeless. Like you are hopeless. Like, how are you gonna, like, you can't do this. There's one lady in particular I can think of. And like, I even thought to myself, like, you've not improved. I remember the one lady, um, after like nine months, or I don't even know how long I'd worked with her. And I was like, you've not, like you are essentially the same as in, as it, from, from now as you were on day 12. Like you improve for the first 12 days or the first 12 lessons or whatever. I don't know what the numbers are, but let's say 12. And now you're on lesson number like 70 and you have not, you were literally the same. You have not improved. Like, and you literally, you it makes you feel like this is hopeless. And I think a lot of you can, relate probably on the other side, like on the learner side, you're like, I have not improved in like a year. What the heck is going on? I can see it on teacher side, but you probably feel it on the learner side. But everybody, eventually you break through. Everybody can become adequate at something given enough effort. If you're just patient enough, everybody can become adequate or pretty good. Not everyone can become exceptionally amazing top of the class. That now gets into some DNA and lifestyle and some other factors. Like, like theoretically, for example, myself, theoretically, you'll see me at the age of 35 doing, being like a super flexible dude who can like do gymnastics. Theoretically, that is possible. But I don't know if it's DNA or just my lifestyle up for the first 28 years of my life. Like the odds of that happening are quite slim because I'm just so inflexible and my and my body coordination, my gross motor skills are not amazing to start with. So if I were to work at it for the next 10 years, I could get a hell of a lot better. Heck, I could even become like pretty darn good, like above average, but I don't think I'm going to any gymnastics. I don't think I can compete with the gymnast. No, there's a, maybe I can, but probably not. So with language is very similar. All of you, if you're, if you give it enough effort, can become adequate or pretty darn good, minimally, minimally. But you've, it's, it's that patience and the effort over a number of years. You have to listen. I, I was, um, it reminds me of this comment, right, of this by the stand-up comedian named Joey Diaz, right, Joey Diaz, and he's in a podcast, and he's talking about he's a he's a stand-up comedian. And he does some other comedy too, I think, but I know him from stand-up, and he was like talking about how he's learning to do jujitsu. And he's like, I'm terrible. He's uh, kind of overweight. And he's like, he's like, my, 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 my gi doesn't fit me. My stuff doesn't fit. My pants fall down. And it's like, I get beat up. Like, I'm not good at this. I suck every class. And it's like, 
I, I don't everyone's better than me and it's like awkward and I don't know how to move my body and he's like yeah I'm terrible is what he says and the interviewer is like oh so like how does that feel like oh interesting why are you doing it and he goes he said it so nonchalantly Joey goes there's something to the effect of well hey man I mean I struggled at stand-up for five years and I figured it out and now I'm pretty darn good so I'll just show up consistently for jujitsu and I'll just figure that out too they can all laugh at me, they can all suck, and everyone can be like, what the heck are you doing? He's like, yeah, but wait, it just give me five years, five, six, seven years, just give me some years, I'll, I'll figure it out. Just gotta keep showing up, keep showing up, and I'm gonna get pretty darn good. And I think if we all, he said it so nonchalantly, it wasn't even like he's saying something profound, he said it so off the cuff, that it's clearly something he like believes in, but he doesn't even like, it's almost like it's something that's so ingrained in him that he doesn't even realize that most people don't think that way. <laughs> And I was like, wow, that's so interesting. It's admirable. And most of us don't look at things that way. We don't have that mentality with languages or starting any new skill. But that's the mentality we have to adopt. That we're like, you have to be ready to suck for a long time. As he said, five, he's like, his mind was like, yeah, I'll suck at this for five, six years. And then I'll, you know, one day I'll be pretty darn good. We all have to go into that attitude and hope maybe it won't be five years. But you have to be ready for it to take a long time. Be ready for it to suck. Like a lot of us have a bad relationship with being bad at things. Like we don't, we really don't like sucking at things. Myself too, by the way, I, I it's uncomfortable. Like, man, like you, this is why I haven't gone and learned how to swim yet. Cause I hate the embarrassment of trying to like swim and being an adult who can't do it. I'm like, everyone's judging me, they're looking at me and like, that's why I haven't done it. That's why I still haven't done it, right? It's partially why I like don't I wouldn't I don't really want to take a group yoga class or things like that. Like it's not it's kind of a judgment and like I'm not flexible. Like I don't like it, right? So I I get it. I 100% understand it. And I'm not even perfect with it. But it doesn't change the fact that it's true, right? Like I I tried to get better at that. Like it doesn't like it's true. You have to kind of you have to l learn to like being bad at things and sucking and being judged. You have to learn to like, you have to learn to like judgment from others, learn to like it and want it, learn to like losing, learn to like imperfection instead of liking perfection. Tell, trick your, not trick yourself, realize, like convince yourself that imperfection is better than perfection. And convince yourself that being bad at something is better than being good, like you almost have to go that far. You almost have to put, like, you're almost like, what, Azrin, you're crazy. But when you have that relationship with being bad at things and not being perfect, if you have a good relationship and it's your good buddy, you can really kind of work away at that language and you can work away at it. You can take steps to keep learning. You can improve, you can, you'll go to class regularly. You don't care if you make mistakes because all of a sudden you've decided in your head Making mistakes is better than being perfect. So you actually, you're looking for the mistakes, right? Uh, it's like, you know, those like, maybe it's just me, but like, um, you know, those people who uh, you watch those movies and stuff and like the really wise person, like the person dies, but then he's like, and death comes to come get the kid, like the angel of death or something. And like the, the really wise main character kind of happily goes along with death. Isn't there like a story in, um, isn't Harry Potter actually, as I'm thinking about it, in Harry Potter, there's a story of the three brothers, right? I forget, um, what's their names? Oh man, 
The younger Azrin would be so ashamed of me right now. I used to be the biggest Harry Potter fan. I knew everything. I could tell you everything about those books, but clearly I'm out of practice. The three brothers um, in the seventh or sixth, seventh book. Oh, I can't remember. Anyway, the death, death basically came to them. He's like, hey, I'm going to give you whatever you want. You guys get one wish each. So one of them wished for the most powerful wand so he can beat every wizard in every battle. Um, the second person wished for wished for the power to bring people back from the dead because he wanted to see his dead wife. And, and death was basically trying to trick them. He wanted them to get, like he wanted them to die. So he's like giving them, trying to give them gifts that would, and they basically he's trying to give them a lot of rope. So they end up hanging themselves with their own rope. And the third brother asked for a stone that makes him invisible and invisible to everybody, even invisible to death. So death can't find him. Or is a cloak actually, not a not a stone, it's a cloak. So the first wizard who had the wand, he's so proud of his wand, he's beating all the wizards, he's killing people, and he, no one can beat him in battles, right? Until someone goes and slits his throat when he's sleeping and then takes the wand, because he wants that kind of power. So death took his first enemy, death took the first brother. The second brother who brought people back from the dead, he brought back his wife, but the wife was like, it's, it wasn't the same, right? She was dead and now he's brought her back. So it's not really, it's kind of like a Frankenstein kind of thing. And he's so tortured by it that he ends up committing suicide, if I remember correctly. So Death got the second brother. But the third brother just kind of kept that cloak on and Death couldn't find him. And then when he was really old and sick, right? The man took the cloak off and Death came to get him and they both walked away almost like they're old friends. He went willingly with Death. So he had a good relationship with death. He understood the role of death in society, the third brother. And he went when he was ready to go and he was happy and he, he didn't fear death. He didn't try to avoid death. He just went with death. He understood it's a part of life and almost like they're friends, right? He's a very good relationship with death. And that's kind of, I kind of view it the same way, not just in languages, but like you have to have a good relationship with losing and imperfection. You have to realize it's, it's a necessary part of life. We can't fear it and it's not bad, even though your mom told you it's bad, even though your dad told you it's bad, even though Instagram told you it's bad, even though you see people on and you're judging yourself and you think you're being judged, or even though our school system in a certain respect tells us it's bad because we get bad marks and then, you know, we're viewed in a certain way. Here's a fun fact about my, how I run some of my classes. Fun little fact. I don't always have tests, but I do have certain classes where we use tests and quizzes and we use traditional meth, um, uh, strategies such as tests to kind of measure performance. There's one group in particular I can think of right now whose parents are, they love tests. They want their kids to have tests. It's like, fine, that's, that's cool. We take each test two, three, four times. They're, design, they're not going to pass the test the first time or they're not going to do great on the test. They're not, it's just the reality. They're gonna get 60, 70, maybe they'll get an 80 or 90, maybe, but probably not. I know that they're likely not going to. And maybe they do, and that's great if they do, and that's fantastic. But I know that they likely won't. And we're gonna redo it. And even if they do really well, we're gonna redo it anyway. Because the purpose of the test is not, oh look, this is my judgment on what you know. The purpose of a test is a learning tool. The test, puts your brain into a different mode that makes you study and try and prepare and it kind of deepens the information into your head. And then you take the test, right? And then you kind of go through your errors and you kind of learn from that process. And when you retake the test, you actually learn more. And when you retake it again, you learn more. 
and you go through the errors again, you're, it deepens your learning. Now, there's diminishing returns on retaking tests. After a certain number, there's diminishing returns, just like any strategy, to be honest. There's diminishing returns the more you do the single thing. The more you do one single thing, eventually there's diminishing returns. It becomes less and less effective. Maybe that's a podcast for another day, actually, but that's an interesting thing about learning a language. When you first do something, it has really good, it has really good value for you. But the more you use the same strategy for language learning, the less effective that becomes over a span of months and years. And that's why you have to sometimes change your strategies up. Heck, sometimes within like a couple of weeks, you, that might even happen, right? So that happens with tests as well. There is a diminishing return, but two, three, four times is just fine for retaking tests. It will really help you learn oral or written or written tests, both. So, and the kids, it's so funny to see the kids. They're so ingrained and in, oh, like looking for the, the, the outside validation of my marking of the test, right? That's like, they're sad if they get a bad mark and they're happy if they get a good mark. That's not how it should be. What you're, you sh what you should get. And I, I ha I'm not a good enough teacher yet to figure out how to communicate the flaws in that to the kids. I need to, I'm going to get better. I will, I'll figure that out over time. I'm just, I haven't, I don't have enough. While I have thousands of hours of teaching experience, I don't have enough under my belt to where I figured that out. But what I want to communicate to the kids is, hey, and really adults too, it's not just kids, all of you, you listening to the podcast, don't get your validation from the single mark. Get your validation from the improvements in your mark as you retest. Does that make sense? So if you get 40, let's say you get 25% on the first test, you failed it with flying colors, you knew nothing. Don't get down over that test. Take the test again, right? And then you get 52%. And then you take it again and now you got and now you got 87. And then you take it again and now you're at 94. That you got to take you got to take pleasure and take yourself your sense of self-worth over the four tests and the improvements over the four tests. And that's really the better way to view life in my perspective, not just languages and tests, but that's a better way to get your outside validation. Get your validation from the improvements and not the instantaneous day-to-day -day judgment, not the one judgment, the one day someone says you're ugly. Like let's go into a real life scenario. Someone calls you ugly, you're ugly. You're a bad mother, you're a bad father. What kind of boyfriend are you? You don't treat people well. We all, I'm, I'm, I can, I know I'm, I'm saying some things and it's like hitting bells in your head. You're hearing it like, ooh, and it hurts you. I can even feel it for some of you, right? You'll never become fluent. You're always gonna be bad. You suck at the language. Your pronunciation's terrible. These are all momentary, first of all, they're judgments. They're not even objective, at least a test. If it's a well-written test, at least is objective. What I'm saying is subjective, but it, it, similar concept applies, right? Someone says, you are a bad mother, whatever it is, right? We're so we're so trained to take that comment at face value. And what I think makes more sense is first of all, you've got to quantify what that means. You have bad pronunciation. You've got to kind of, you've got to take that in and be like, okay, let's pause. Am I? Let's look at this objectively and, and not objectively, let's look at the opinion of everyone. Like really look at things objectively. Am I really a bad father? Am I, or even, am I really bad at pronunciation? Is that, is that true? Think about it. When people give me feedback, good and bad, by the way, 
I'm actually funny with positive feedback. People always think I don't take positive feedback well. It's more that I don't take, a, I take all feedback with a grain of salt. People give me feedback and I think about it and I don't know if it's true because you don't know me. No one knows you. You know you, not no one else. So I always take feedback with a funny like grain of salt. Like I think about it. Um, like I really kind of think. There's a lot that goes into feedback, by the way. Ugh, feedback is... People have, people have personal motivations when they give you feedback at times. They have their own personal biases, their own personal agenda at times when they give you feedback. Feedback, feedback is a fickle thing. Feedback, not fickle. Feedback's a funny thing, man. Feedback is interesting. Feedback is, feedback is we real bizarre. You gotta get, you gotta be careful with feedback. Who is giving you the feedback? Like you gotta be careful, right? Anyway, but I really dissect feedback um, before I take any, and I take the value out of it that needs to be taken out of it. And so let's say someone says you're a bad father or whatever it is, right? And you really think about it. Like my father was not a very good father in my opinion, right? And there's, you can really objectively look at my father and you can objectively look at how he was not a great father. You know, divorced at a very young age, wasn't in my life, missed commitments, would say he'd do things, wouldn't do them. Like, like all the cliche bad father kind of deadbeat quote unquote, without being too mean, but not a great father. You can really objectively kind of figure out where that comes from, right? At least from my perspective. Um, <clears throat> but then you got to look at that and you go, and you, you can't take your, you can't take your self-worth from that. Just like from the test, you took one test, you don't, whether it's good or bad, don't take your judgment from that test. 90% or 0%, doesn't matter what your mark was. What matters is what happened over the four tests, the three tests, what happened over time, if did you improve? So let's say you realize, crap, I'm not doing a great job of parenting right now. I don't know why I keep coming to parenting, but that's where my, my mind is going for some reason. I'm not a parent, but for some reason my mind's going there. Anyway, you're like, okay, I've, I've looked at this objectively. I'm not a good parent because I'm doing this, I'm drinking too much, I'm not spending time with my son. I, I work too much. I do this. And you've got this huge list of reasons why you're not a good parent. And you realize, crap, I don't think I'm a good parent. Where you've got to get your self-worth from is as you improve on those things objectively, can you drink less? Great. Now you've gotten better. Can you, maybe you're, you're like, I'm working too much. Can you change that? You change it. And over time, you judge yourself based on the changes you make, not in that moment, the momentary judgment. Does that make sense? We're getting real deep today. I think that's super important, super, super important. And all this started with tests. Like, it's so funny. Like, man, I, I gotta, I gotta get louder on my test philosophy because that's really practical. Um, and that's really like, I can really talk about that. I can't talk about divorce and parent. I, it's, I can't really relate to it personally, but the test stuff, like I can speak with that. Like, dude, I don't care if you get 22% on, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Get disappointed. That's cool, man. You lost. Yeah, feel it. You lost. That was bad. Great. But it's not over. You're going to take the test five more times. Three. You're going to take it again. We're going to keep taking it. <laughs> I, I have bonus questions on this one test I did with the kids. They did okay the first time around. Between 66% was the lowest in the class. The highest was like, um, I think 74 or 75. So it's not great when you look at that. It's not amazing. You know, it's like... C's, you know, a little bit lower even when you look at 66. Um, but we took, we, we, we like looked at the mistakes and then like a week later, I gave it as a pop quiz, right? Actually, not true. Uh, not true, actually. We like, we, we worked on it. They knew the quiz was coming, actually. We did it again and they gave us bonus questions 
two uh, one kid still hasn't taken it actually but he will soon but the ones who have got over a hundred percent and in hindsight i should have stressed wow look guys you got oh you went from 66 to 120 percent you like what that's amazing dude that's so good like that's what i should have praised in hindsight next time i gotta praise it more to kind of drill that in maybe that's how you drill that in with kids right so yeah anyway um wow long podcast almost 30 minutes all right everybody thank you for listening this is my favorite podcast of 2020 i think i think we got into some really good stuff and um yeah i guess we'll chat later bye for now see you